Well, tonight we're going to continue our look at the book of Ruth that we started a couple weeks ago. So if you want to open up there, we're going to be finishing out chapter 1 beginning in verse 19. Ruth chapter 1 beginning in verse 19. And before we get into the lesson, let's go to God in prayer. Lord God, we ask that you help us as we open our Bibles tonight. Uh, Help us to see what you want us to see, what we need to see, so that our lives are transformed and so that we can draw closer to you. In Jesus' name, amen. To get us caught up on the story to this point, since it's been a couple of weeks, I want to backtrack, get a little bit of the context so that we can really dig into what uh, is being said here at the end of this chapter. If you remember, we talked about last time how the book of Ruth, I think, really needs to be read in light of a couple of verses uh, from the book of Judges, and in particular, the very last verse of Judges, which says in chapter 21, verse 25, in those days there was no king in Israel Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And then you flip over to Ruth chapter 1 and verse 1, and it says, now it came about in the days when the judges governed. That kind of tells us what is going on in the world around the time of Ruth and Naomi. It's a time of upheaval. It's a time of darkness. The judges are ruling. A lot of the judges aren't doing a great job. People are doing what they want to do. There's no king. And uh, it's not that they don't know who God is, but at this point, Many people in Israel just don't care. And so it is a dark period of time for uh, this family that's from Bethlehem. And it gets a little worse for them because during this period of time, these two individuals, Elimelech and Naomi, who are living in this dark period of time, have a famine that happened in their hometown of Bethlehem. And so the the situation The situation is thus that Elimelech moves the family, uh, their two sons, out to Moab. We talked about how uh, I don't know whether that was a sin for them to do it or not, but certainly I think we could say that there is some non-wisdom in doing that. But they go out to Moab, and it's out there that bad things just seem to kind of follow them around. They've lived in the time period of the judges. They've had a famine back in Bethlehem. And once they get out there, Naomi's husband, Elimelech, dies. This is a devastating blow for uh, Naomi because he was her husband, he was her provider, and uh, now he's gone. And they're in in a land that isn't their own. They're out in the middle of somewhere else in a land that they are not familiar with. But one of the points that we made last week was that even when things seem the darkest throughout the life of Naomi here in chapter 1, God continues to show that he is working even in the darkness, that there are things that he's doing that should provide some hope for her. And, And here, right off the bat, she still has her two sons. She may have lost her husband, but she's got her two sons who can provide for her, who can take care of her, and they marry two Moabite women. And so now there's even the promise of, potential grandchildren, the family line can continue, the name can continue on, which was so important for a Jewish family. But 
things kind of get worse. Because no grandchildren come, and the two sons die, and Naomi is left with these two daughters-in-law. But again, God continues to show that he's working in the darkness, because we're told that food had come back to Bethlehem. We talked about that really important phrase, the Lord visited his people. And so Naomi makes the decision, I'm going to go back. And it's really here that we have a crucial moment in the story because Naomi has decided to go back and her two daughters-in-law have decided to follow her back as well. And Naomi kind of keeps trying to tell them, you don't need to come with me. There's no reason for you to come. There's nothing for you where I'm going. I'm not going to have any more children. Stay with your family. Get married again. Stay with your God. Stay in your country that you are familiar with. And one of the daughters-in-law does go, Orpha, but Ruth is a wonderful example to us of someone who has such devoted loyalty and love for her mother-in-law. And she says, I'm not going anywhere. In fact, your people are going to be my people. Your God's going to be my God. I'm going with you all the way. Again, I think this is an example of God showing that he's working in the darkness. Things are so bleak for Naomi, but here's Ruth who's going to go with her and stay with her, even though Ruth is giving up an awful lot to go with her. She's giving up her family, she's giving up her country and her God to go with Ruth. That kind of gets us caught up to verse 19, which is when they're going to arrive in Bethlehem. And one other point I want to make as we go through this is that we see God working even in the darkness, but I also want us to see that God works in the ordinary as well. And what I mean by that is that God works even in the humdrum, routine, everyday events of our lives. Some of the stuff that happens to Naomi, it, it seems extraordinary because it just all piles on her at once. The reality is she was dealing with stuff that everybody deals with. Loss, uh, sorrow, pain. Everybody deals with those things. Those things can be routine in life, and yet God continues to work even in the routine everyday events of our lives. She dealt with death and love and loss. The people in this story deal with death and love and loss and the need for provision and food, the need to be provided with what you needed to live. And it is so incredibly comforting, I think, and I think this is one of the points of this entire story, is that God is still working through all of that. Maybe you're like me, and sometimes you look at your life and you just think, man, my life is just so ordinary. I, I go about the same business every single day. I have all the habits that I'm in. I, I do the same thing over and over again. Nothing super exciting happens on a daily basis. I'm not off having grand adventures every day, and I don't really have that many, uh, you know, talents to thrill the world with. Uh, does God really care that much about me? After all, my life is just ordinary. I kind of fly under the radar. And that can lead us to then thinking, does he really expect that much of me, too? What I think this story of Ruth teaches us is that God absolutely cares about us, even in our humdrum, everyday lives. And he does expect something of us. And the consistent message of Scripture, and one of the messages of this book, is that God does take notice of his people. 
I think it is absolutely incredible that God can be concerned with the affairs of the universe and then like a telescope, zoom in on one individual and see what's going on in their lives. I think he does that for Naomi. I think we see that throughout this story, even as she struggles with all of the loss and hardship that she has had to go through in her life. And I'm not sure that Naomi, at least here at the beginning of the story, fully grasps that God does that. So let's begin reading here in verse 19 down through the end of the chapter. So they both went until they came to Bethlehem, and when they had come to Bethlehem, all the city was stirred because of them. And the women said, Is this Naomi? She said to them, Do not call me Naomi, call me Mara. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why do you call me Naomi, since the Lord has witnessed against me, and the Almighty has afflicted me? So Naomi returned, and with her, Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, who returned from the land of Moab. They came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. If you remember last time, we talked about uh, three different events that are happening. You've got the famine, you have loss, and then you have return to Bethlehem. Tonight, we want to talk about the arrival to Bethlehem, in particular, Naomi and Ruth's arrival in Bethlehem, back to the land of Israel. And any hope that Naomi had of slipping into town unnoticed uh, was pretty quickly scorched because everyone in town is abuzz that Naomi is back. If you're like me, you grew up in a pretty small town, and uh, when somebody came into town or somebody left town, everybody in town knew where you were or where you were going. Well, Bethlehem was a really small town, and so when Naomi comes back into town, it's news for everybody. She's been gone a long time, and the situation of her coming back is, I think, somewhat surprising for everybody. Can this be Naomi? Is this the same woman who left here with her husband and her two children so many years ago? I would have to imagine that after everything that Naomi's been through, she almost looks like a shell of herself. Because she has been through so much so far since she left Bethlehem. What she has been through is unimaginable. She's lost her husband, her, her confidant, her provider. She's lost her children. And any hope of having any grandchildren, at least for the time being, she's been through it. And it's no wonder that the town seems to hardly recognize her. And she's coming into town with no family except this girl that no one else has ever met before. In fact, she's not even an Israelite. She's from Moab. And like we said last time, people from Moab weren't exactly treated very well by Israel because God had made a separation between Israel and Moab. And what's Naomi's response to all of this? Can this be Naomi? And she says to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara. The name Naomi in the Hebrew language means pleasant. And so clearly Naomi does not feel like that name fits her very well anymore after everything she has been through. And she wants them to call her Mara, which means bitter. Her life has been made bitter by the experiences that she has had. And I do want to be fair to Naomi here. Can you imagine that journey back 
to Bethlehem. As you get back to your old familiar places and faces that you knew so very long ago, can you imagine the memories that might come flooding back as you walk into the town that you've always lived in without your husband and your two boys who left there with you? It's no wonder, then, that she feels like the course of her life and the way that it's taken is so bitter. Can't you hear her saying those words in verse 21, I went away full, look at me now, I have nothing. Don't call me pleasant, call me bitter. And here's why she wants to change her name. She says in verse 21, the Lord has brought me back empty. The Almighty, she says, has made my life bitter. This is a level of honesty that we don't often encounter, isn't it? We've already seen this, though, back in verse 13, when she's talking to her daughters-in-law, and she's trying to get them to reconsider coming to Bethlehem with her. She says, would you therefore wait until they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is harder for me than for you, for the hand of the Lord has gone forth against me. She is very honest about how she's feeling in this moment. Very honest about her feelings of bitterness, about the, the turn that her life has taken. And clearly she has reached a point where she is not afraid to show her feelings. And what you see is what you get with her at this point. She is very open about how she's feeling because she says, my name shouldn't be pleasant anymore. It should be bitter. And it's because she is bitter. And I think she's angry about the course that her life has taken up to this point. There is no attempt on her part to, to sweep her experiences away and, and, and act like everything's going back to normal, to, to put on a stiff upper lip. She's not going to pretend like everything's fine. She's not going to pretend like everything's going to go back to normal. She feels as though she has nothing now. And she certainly isn't going to try and make everyone around her believe that everything is well and is going great in her life. Hi, I'm back. I'm Naomi. No, she says, I'm bitter. And I want to make a point here that I think it's important for us to see. I certainly do believe that we need to be very careful how we say the things that we say, particularly when we are coming before God with what we've got on our hearts. And I do believe, though, that we need to be honest. We need to be honest about the things that we are feeling when we are feeling them. I think maybe Naomi may take some of this a bit too far, it seems to me like her faith has been somewhat shaken by what she has experienced in her life. I'm not sure mine wouldn't have been shaken by what she had experienced in her life. But there are so many passages in the Bible that explore how we need to be honest with our God when we come before him with what we are feeling and what we are going through. You just think about taking a look in the Psalms and you see it everywhere. Turn over to Psalm 10. 
Psalm 10. Psalm 10, beginning in verse 1, says, Why do you stand afar off, O Lord? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? The psalmist is very honest about what he's feeling there. Why do you hide yourself from me? Psalm 22, why have you forsaken me? Psalm 79, how long, O Lord? Psalm 89, where is your steadfast love? God, I think, wants us to be honest with him. Reverent, yes but honest with him. And I would just suggest to you tonight that real honesty with God, coming to God and saying, here's what's on my heart, here's what's been going on in my life, I want you to hear what I, what I need to say to you. That kind of honesty with God, in reality, displays the faith that we have in God. God wants us to be honest with him. He wants to know how confused we sometimes are with the events of life. There are things that happen in life that are confusing. We don't understand why they happen. God wants to know about it. When we are saying to God, I don't know why I'm going through what I'm going through and it's painful and I'm hurting and I'm laying it all out before you because I trust. I trust in you. I trust that you're listening and that you will help me even if it's in ways that I don't fully understand. Now, like I said, I don't know that Naomi is quite at that place right now. I don't know if she fully understands. In a lot of the, the reading and research that I did on this, there, there's a lot of people that actually believe that she is showing faith in God here at this point. I, I don't know that, that the text demands that. But I do think that Naomi here reminds us that there are times in our lives where some pains seem unbearable and some events seem unjust and some questions, at least in this life, go unanswered. And it's in the ordinary and humdrumness of life that we make that discovery, that things happen that will happen. And this language that Naomi uses here in verse 20 and 21 is actually this, full I went, but empty brought me back God. It is absolutely clear in Naomi's mind at this point that she had a husband. I had children. I had a future. I had hopes and dreams. I had expectations. I went away full, and here I am, no longer pleasant, but bitter. Because God has taken away everything from me. Just a moment ago, I made the point that God wants us to be honest out of trust in him. But it can be so easy to slip into this mindset of Naomi here. To look around at everything that may have happened to me and see what I have lost. And to say, God did this to me. This is the, this is the great question that that many in the world wrestle with. Why would God allow some of the things to happen if he's a good God, if he's a loving God? And it can be easy when things that are difficult happen to us in our lives to slip into this mindset of God did this to me, God is taking this away from me. And this is why I said at the beginning it's so important that we understand that God works 
even in the ordinary, that he is deeply concerned with what is happening in our lives. Because if we don't see that and we fail to grasp that, then we will say to ourselves when trouble hits us, I was full, God made me empty. And there is no hope. Here's what we need to see, and it's what Naomi, I think, fails to see here. And I'm not sure if I was in her shoes that I wouldn't have failed to see this. But God is at his best when we are at our worst. Do you see why an understanding of God is so important? Understanding who God is and what God desires for his people, what God desires for all people. You see why grasping who he is is so important for us when the waves hit us and knock us back. Because it's a knowledge of God that tells us that he is in control. That he can take this difficult circumstance that I find myself in and turn it out for good. That he cares about me and that I can go to him and tell him, here is what is going on, here is what's happening in my life. I feel like I was full and now I feel like I am empty. Help me. Help me, please. What Naomi needed to see is that God has been helping her and that God is helping her. Yes, she has lost terribly. Yes, she is full. Yes, she was full and now she feels empty. But the reality is her cup is not bone dry because she didn't return to Bethlehem alone. She didn't return back with everyone that she left with, but she returned back with a woman who displayed such love and loyalty to her that there's no way that her cup was totally empty at that point. It was Ruth who displayed love towards her. It was Ruth who refused to be parted from her, who accepts the responsibility and the difficulty of life with Naomi. Ruth is with her. And Ruth is a declaration of God that he is with Naomi, going with her even as she feels like her life is shattered, and she feels empty. And the chapter ends with a note about the beginning of the barley harvest, which is another display of God that things are looking up, that he is working. Because when they left Bethlehem, there was no food. And now they have come back, and the harvest is beginning. And this is what we need to understand about God. Of course he sees what Naomi has gone through. He sees how much she has lost. He sees that her cup has been empty. But he's the God that fills that cup. He's the God who is providing security for her future, even as Naomi doesn't know what's coming next in the story. We know what's coming and we see what God is doing in the background. If Naomi could only see that, her tune might have been different. I was full. I was empty. But God is filling me right back up. And brothers and sisters, while it may feel in our lives sometimes that God is not concerned with our hurts and our problems and the difficulties that we go through in our lives because he is God and our lives can be so mundane sometimes, we need to recognize that it's God that knows the very number of the hairs on our head. And he cares, even when we fail, sometimes like Naomi, to see it. So what we learn from the end of this chapter 
is how we must see God working. And the reality is, in our lives today, we can't see God working in the background. But we need to have trust that he is working in the background and go to him with complete honesty, trusting that he will work all things out for our good. We must see God working even when it feels like he isn't. God desires our honesty. He desires honesty that trusts in him. And what we will see through the rest of this book is how God teaches Naomi and Ruth to trust him. God isn't mentioned a whole lot in this book. It's similar to Esther in that regard. God isn't mentioned in Esther. But there can be no doubt as you read through this book that God is working and that God is trying to teach Naomi and Ruth to trust in him even when things seem the most difficult. Because he is a God who works in the darkness, and he is the God of the ordinary. I know this has been somewhat of a shorter lesson, but I think it's, this is an important point for us to understand. Understanding this about God should remind us that even though the trouble we face in this life may be great, and we may take it to God in, in honesty, we have to trust him we talked about this morning. Obedience is important, but obedience and trust go hand in hand. And that trust needs to be founded on the understanding that God may not ease the pain that we feel in this life, that we endure in this life. And sometimes that's where we slip up. It feels like what we're going through is just a never-ending cycle of pain and suffering. God may not ease that in this life. But through trusting God, we can rest assured that the pain and the suffering will be eased in the life that is to come. Because God is working all things out for our good. And the times that we feel like we are empty in this life, we can rest assured that in the next we will be filled to the bursting. Because we will be in the presence of the God who loves us and who has been working on our behalf throughout the entirety of our lives. And tonight, if you're not a Christian, we want you to recognize that God is working. And he desires for you to put your trust in him. To be honest with him and say, here's what's been going on in my life. I am a sinner and I need you to save me. And come to him in baptism and live a new life. And if you are a child of God and you're, you're struggling in your life, Maybe you're struggling to put your trust in God. Maybe you've had a hard time realizing that God is working on your behalf. We want to help you however we can to rededicate your life to him. If there's anything we can do for you this evening, we ask that you come forward as we stand and sing together.